Hey everyone, welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Paula Finley. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Nick Goldston. Welcome to our podcast. We discuss here breaking news. Oh my gosh. Ding, 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 we said that was going to be the third thing. Okay, we oh. discuss here uh, triathlon. We answer your questions. We talk about races that we win. And we discuss breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> and controversial things and race predictions but uh we try to do it in a really fun and lighthearted way and eric and i are both pro triathletes nick is an age group athlete and pro musician um so all the great sound quality and music and jingles that you hear on this podcast are courtesy of nick and thank you, thank you, thank you. uh you guys want to say something yeah i'm just gonna give a shout out to my incredible t-shirt that i'm currently wearing it's a long sleeve. It's part of our winter collection that's going to be coming out, and I'm test, test riding it, test wearing it right now, and it's A+. I'm super psyched for these to come out. Great podcast content, of course. Stroking it. It's super soft. Anyone who's a fan <laughs> of the TTL apparel, it's a brand new design. It's, it's a brand cool. new thing. Yeah, actually a good friend. Uh, I've become friends, similar to like how Nick and I became friends via the internet. Uh, Christian, he is a graphic design teacher and an artist and he designed this for us and it's kind of a remix of our logo in a square format and it's pretty dope. And actually this year we were organized enough to arrange a product launch pre-Christmas, pre-Thanksgiving even. So you can have TTL stuff ready for Christmas if you want. And just briefly, Eric and I and Nick, um, we do the podcast, but we also have YouTube channel. We sell the clothing, the hats, the water bottles, all the things. And uh, you can also su support the podcast uh, monthly as well. So those are all the ways that we keep this going. Okay, speaking of changing things to keep things going, <laughs> Iron Man has made big news, although it's not news yet. Right? So we haven't seen it on Slow Twitch. Uh, our our brothers and sisters at Pro Tri News have not made a podcast about it yet. They're guaranteed they're recording one right now right. as yeah. we speak, and they're just going to put it on the internet without editing, like immediate first to market. We gotta I don't know. Be, we gotta I don't them. know. I mean, okay, so here's what happened. Like we had planned to record the podcast. It's now Wednesday night at 6 p.m. It's pretty late for us to be recording since Nick still has to edit. But I'm checking my email right before we start recording, and there's an email from the pro Ironman liaison people announcing some crazy news. And I dug pretty deep and made sure that it wasn't confidential, but there's a link to the internet that explains the series. So anyone can read about it. It's obviously public knowledge, but not like spread out to the world yet. So we will tell you guys quick about it right here. <laughs> I'm so excited. I feel like this is fun. So next year in 2024, um, we all know about the PTO and their series. And next year, um, trying to expand the number of races that they do and get more consistent people like the top athletes racing head to head with a lot of prize money, a lot of year end bonus pools. And it seems like in response to this, Ironman has created the Ironman Pro Series with a corresponding bonus pool. So... At the end of the Ironman Pro race year, there will be a $1.3 million bonus pool split by the top 10 ranked athletes at the end of the year. And then number 11 to 50th, 50th in the rankings will each get $5,000. So a huge, huge investment and boost by Ironman um, to incentivize athletes basically to go race their events. Um, there's 10 70.3s and seven Ironmans on their circuit, so to say. And this is obviously the ones that will score points. So there are other races, but these are the point-scoring ones. Winning an Ironman will get you 5,000 points. Winning a 70.3 will get you 2,500 points. Because they're half as long, half as many points. <laughs> and at the end of the year, your top five races will count with a maximum of three Ironman events counted towards your final score. So... In my mind, this definitely favors Ironman-specific athletes. At and, least ones that can race more than once. And make the um, PTO situation really interesting because people are now going to have the choice between doing this and doing Ironman. And, and these so, are a little bit more North American skewed, correct? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, definitely the races on this list are ones that I normally do anyway. 
like mm-hmm. 70.3 Oceanside, 70.3 St. George, 70.3 Chattanooga, 70.3 Boulder, 70.3 Tremblant. And then some of the races move more international. So 70.3 Tallinn, 70.3 Western Australia, um, and then seven Ironman races on here as well. So I don't know. My first thought was like, well, I'm doing three Ironmans next year. Yep. Got to win three Ironmans and two seventy point threes. Destroy that body. Yeah. And I mean, Kona actually counts for more points and so does 70.3 Worlds. And that's one of the three Ironman races that you do. So, um, or not Kona, I guess it would be nice World Championships. Whatever, yeah. wherever your World Championship mm-hmm. is. Yeah. I, it, it did dawn on me before we decided to talk about this that like probably 75% of people that listen to this won't care or get it. But this is important to us, cool and therefore news. we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So if you win the pro series year end thing, it's two hundred thousand for men, two hundred thousand for women. Second is one hundred and thirty, eighty five, seventy, fifty, forty, thirty, twenty, fifteen, ten. So pretty okay. good for top ten. Can I give um, a little context for the people who maybe aren't aware of of how this fits into pro triathlon? Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it like like we're five here. Paula, you stop me if I'm saying something wrong because I'm just going to go off of my understanding. Okay. Before the PTO was around, pros were racing Ironman races and they were just winning prize money per race. If you did well at the race, you got some prize money. If you didn't, you got less prize money. And when the year was over, that was it. You maybe got some bonuses from your sponsors if you're on the podium, if that was in your contract, but that was it. Yeah. Then the PTO came around. And they decided that not only were their pro races going to have way, way, way bigger prize purses, but in addition to that, at the end of the year, you were given a a, a total amount of points in accordance to how well you did at races during the year, which also included Ironman races. And then at the end, you were given a bonus, a really, really big bonus, much more than you could possibly accrue by doing Ironman races alone if you did well. So this the, the needle started to go further and further towards the PTO with how much pros were interested in these races because they made so much more sense financially, even if— Yeah, not even close. Yeah, maybe even if maybe at the beginning there was more still more excitement about Ironman races because of the brand name. Yeah. And so now Ironman has responded with their own version of kind of the same concept of at the end of the year, if you do our races and you do well at them, we'll give you a huge bonus, much more than you could ever possibly accrue by just doing the races. So that's why this is such a big deal. Something I forgot to mention was that the prize money at each Ironman event will stay the same as it has always been. And that prize purse is very low. Like you could win a race and barely pay for your expenses relative at a lot of these the, races. Relative to the PTO, for sure. I think that's relative the most- Relative to literally anything in life. <clears throat> well, I honestly, I mean, if we look at like the gravel scene and like the Lifetime okay. series made a big splash and has made all this stuff. But if you kind of like really dig into that deeper and listen to podcasts or whatever, you find that- You're not re- making that much. Yeah, you really have to be top three in the series at the end of the year if you want to cover all the expenses of like making it to all these races. Eric, we're not here to talk about gravel, but yeah, I see what you're saying. It's like the PTO thing is actually like the the Lifetime series was in triathlon early on and the same thing, like individual race is pretty low, but you really had to buy into the whole series and the PTO has been pretty interesting in that like each individual race has a ton of money. Yeah. That's not the case with the new Ironman thing, but I just thought it was worth saying. Well, this is really... This is very exciting. If you are into pro triathlon, this is only good news. It's like when when some tech company comes out with some tech product and then every other company in the same field has to step up their game to match that, to be competitive, right? Competition is always good. Even if you're a really big fan of just the PTO, it's really good that Ironman does this because it makes everyone have to do a better job. Yeah. But I'm curious how you feel, how you guys feel about this as not just triathlon fans, but pro triathletes. You know, I... For me, the thing that just kind of occurred to me is like, <clears throat> at least from my perspective, pretty much all these Ironman races were already quite competitive, at least on the men's side. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm curious, like the idea is that each of these races that may not have gotten a very big field because of the prize money at that race will now get better fields. Races will be more exciting because people are chasing this year end bonus. I'll be I'm actually just like kind of thinking out loud now. I'm curious to see how much of an impact that will have just because from my perspective like the men's fields have still been incredibly competitive relative to like the amount of money on offer. Yeah, it's right. like everyone's buying into the year end thing now. If you're doing Ironman, it's really hard to race more than 5 or 6 times a year, especially at a high high level. So 
to add in a whole other series to that and maybe try to do both would be really challenging. Ultimately, it seems like the first person that comes to mind with this would be Daniela, where she is an extreme Ironman specialist. She's obviously very, very good and has won a lot of 70.3s, but if she was thinking, oh, I'm just going to dedicate my entire year next year to doing 70.3 races and then just try to do Kona, now it's like, oh, maybe you can just stick to Ironmans and make a ton of money in this new series. But my my question and my rebuttal to that is someone like Daniela or someone like Lucy, how often are they doing three Ironmans a year? Um, I think they do three a year. Like often they'll do, because those three, one is Kona, oh, yeah, or one okay, is World right, Championships. Right, right. So then they'll do like one other and then maybe they'll do Roth or something, you know, so that's three total. I think you could probably still win the series, like winning two Ironmans, especially if one of them is Kona, and then like three 70.3s, obviously. Yeah, then you could win. I don't Easy. know. Someone who, who, like another person that comes to mind is Matt Hansen. Like he's an American-based athlete, very good at Ironman, okay at 70.3. And I think he has could potentially race three Ironmans do quite well at them if they're warm ones with, you know, the run is emphasized. It'd be interesting to see, like, is it just as good to get third place in three Ironmans as to win two Ironmans? You know, like, how is someone going to play the oh, system or or come out on win top? Win a 70.3 versus get third at an Ironman, same amount of points, that's what you're getting at. Yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah. It's some kind of, like, system where you're like, yeah, I don't you think could we, get fourth at every race, but then you get first overall or something. For the, for the sake of the podcast, I don't think we need to go in the nuts and bolts and predictions and hypothesis is, but we wanted to put it out there that it's a thing. And we've only had like five minutes to think about it. So I think we could come back or maybe we'll get questions about it and talk more about it next week. But I think that was a good, uh, it was good breaking news for Chinese style. Very interesting. Maybe I'll make a little breaking news jingle (laughs) as well. This is actual news. We have have actual credible sources on this. It is true (laughs) 100%. Speaking of predictions, uh, there's a big race this weekend. I'm just just in shock. I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Eric, just so in case you didn't know, for full distance uh, Ironmans, there's a world championship. Lacona? It happens in Hawaii. It's an island off the, in the Pacific Ocean. And this weekend is Kona, which is uh, this year the women only are racing that. Uh, and I was curious if you guys had some predictions for the podium. Can we do like a, a podium from our heart and uh, a podium from our brain? Oh, like what we want the podium to be versus... I definitely have a heart. I have a heart podium too. I have a have heart, a heart podium, podium too. Yeah. And it's very different from the actual podium that I have. Yeah. All right. Okay. So which one do we do first? Okay. So my head podium goes... And it's not to say I don't like people podium. on my head podium. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I like everyone. It goes um, Ann Hogg, Taylor Nib, Chelsea Sodaro. Okay. My heart podium goes Kat, Lucy, and Chelsea. Okay, got it. That's funny. My my heart podium has none of the same people as my head podium. Well, my only crossover is Chelsea. Yeah. I do think um, Chelsea could defend. I think that I, I think if 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 everything goes well and she doesn't have any kind of issues, I do think it would not be a huge 100% surprise for her to she defend. Could. Seven p- different people could win. Yeah. And it wouldn't be a huge surprise. Yeah. It's so crazy. I don't think there's ever been this much equal possibility yeah. among so many people. And then that's not even taking into account people like maybe Elisa Norton or a Fanella that you don't immediately think of, but really, really amazing athletes that could easily podium. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so wait, did you do head first or yeah, you did head first. So my head is first Ann Haug, uh, second, I think Lucy. And then third, Taylor Nib. Um, and in my heart, I didn't give it a one, two, three, but I just would love to see Kat Matthews do well. I'd love to see Daniela do well. Uh, I'd love to see Laura Phillip do well. Yeah. And and I just like, if Chelsea's kind of had like an up and down year, if she could do well too, that would be great. Yeah. Um, I also would like Daniela yeah. to do well. Oh, it's so hard to pick. Yeah. Eric, your turn. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Anne for the win as well. And then hmm, maybe Cat, then Cat for a second. Cat really at seventy point three worlds. When I saw that, I thought, oh boy, she really could do really well at Kona. I think it'll just it'll just come down to the heat. And we watched her. Was it Fighting Chance video? She said her it was hilarious. We we love her watching her do videos. So if she wants, 
Kat, if you you could start a YouTube channel, we would watch it. Um, <laughs> it was on. What well, I think it was on Breakfast with Bob. I can't uh, even remember because all I do is watch Kona shit. <laughs> she definitely. <laughs> she have definitely. Oh yeah, the, she but, did. But, but Bob that on was Bob. like, "How's Kona so far?" And she's like, "Awful." I hate it. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but basically, have you been after a week every day all the time? It never gives yeah. up. I'm like, Amen. Thank you, somebody, for saying this. Uh, but she said basically the first week was pretty rough with the time change and the heat, but she was feeling a lot better on week two. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, I think that could go well. And like, yeah, heart podium. Uh, yeah, I'd still want Kat to do really well. It would be amazing if Lucy finally won. I know. Yeah, I Lucy, would love to see that. Lucy wins, Kat gets second, and Daniela gets third. I think that we're going to be kicking ourselves like we're such idiots for not picking Daniela for the win. Oh yeah. Maybe. And We're I would so love dumb. that. It's We're just so up dumb. and down. It's she could win by five minutes or be thirteenth place. If that's yeah. what's hard, yeah, to, but never, hard to know. Never bet against her. I think she, I changed my mind. She's gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> wow, good thing you didn't lock those in. But Eric, you know what I just thought of? I was thinking of when we were there earlier in the year for mm. filming the foreign rider film, and we were just standing at the the pier there. Yeah. At the swim start. And we were not exercising at all. We hadn't really exercised earlier that day. It wasn't even that hot. And we were so hot. Yeah, and it was like overcast. It was just... It was overcast. It was just like slightly over 80 degrees. But that humidity, I yeah. cannot believe that people do a full That's the humidity. Because if you look at the temperature on uh, Apple weather, it's like a high of 26 on Saturday, which... To me, doesn't sound that bad, but yeah, I guess you bad. really get cooked by the humidity. Yeah. Oh, I got to go and feel it. Yeah, let's go. For myself. Yeah, you do. You got to go and feel it like like Nick and I have. Yeah. I got to go True and Kona feel it because I got to try to win it for this Iron Man series. <laughs> oh, it's just so easy when you think about it like that. Well, we're very excited. I can't wait to watch it. We're going to be actually watching it together because on Friday morning, I'm flying out to Bend and the race is this weekend. Yep. What time does your flight get in? Uh, 9.15 a.m., I think. All, All right. right. Someone will be there to get you. <laughs> Eric will be there. <laughs> Great. I'll just walk from the airport. Okay, let's uh, move to the questions. Yep. Or do we have a segment? No, we did have a, we did have a bike tech with Eric, but I think we're actually going to do that next week instead because we have so many questions and this Iron Man news is kind of, uh, was, was, took, took precedent. Breaking news. Make a jingle for breaking news. And every time we say it, I'll play a little clip of it. Yeah. <laughs> so annoying. Except you have to do that tonight, Nick, because it's Wednesday. Yeah, I do have to do it tonight. And I'm supposed to get burritos with friends after this as well. So we'll see. All right, um, well, we better get onto the questions. So before we get onto questions, uh, every <laughs> week we try to pick a podcast supporter as a winner that we send out. It depends on what we send out. Sometimes it's socks, sometimes it's bottles, sometimes it's a t-shirt. And this week we put our random number generator to work and we found Laura Clinky. Clinky. I think that I think that's how you pronounce your name. Uh Laura Clinky, congratulations. Uh Eric found more socks, so I think you're getting socks. Is that right, Eric? Ooh, actually, hold on. Please hold. One second. <laughs> Please hold. <laughs> okay, Laura. We actually it is your lucky day because um you're a woman and I just found this box in our closet. And we have three women's tops from Castelli, TTL women's tops. One is a long sleeve tech tee, size small. One is a Aero Race 6.0 jersey, size medium. And the last one is the same jersey, size small. If you fit any of those, you can have those instead of socks. Otherwise, we'll send you socks. That's great news. Laura, you hit the jackpot. That's Jack an expensive pot. jackpot, but well, so wait, these, Eric never consulted me on this, but okay. So these are <laughs> extras that we ordered, that Castelli ordered with the intention of all of these socks and these things being giveaways. So we were going to try to give them away on a, Zift, on a Zwift group ride or something like that, which we may still do. But today is your lucky day, Laura, because I just thought of it. And your only way to be picked as a winner is if you are a podcast supporter, which you can be at thattriathlonlife.com slash podcast. That's also where you can direct all your questions, which this week you guys all heeded the call and the questions were fantastic. Super good questions this week. And so many. That's another great idea. The other thing I'm going to do is since I tried to describe how this shirt looks 
I'm going to put together a little email just for podcast supporters with what this shirt and the other few shirts look like that we got for the winter collection. I love that. And I will send those out so you'll get to see them just a little bit before everybody else. Okay, awesome. That's great. Uh, so thank you so much to all our podcast supporters. The main reason to be a podcast supporter is just show your appreciation for the podcast. And then every once in a while we throw in these little things. What if someone leaks the pictures? Ooh, scandal. <laughs> <laughs> scandal. Uh, okay, let's move on to questions here. So many good ones. Let's start with this. Uh, and this one, we did a little bit of research on this one too, but a really interesting question, I think very topical. We're super curious. What are your thoughts on one-by setups for triathlon bikes? Seems like there's been some buzz over here the past year, but when we've read about them, we haven't seen a lot of clear research. So what do you think? Is a one-by setup faster than a standard two-by? Have any of you guys used a one-by setup for races? If not, have you considered it? P.S. Freaking love your stuff. We're day oneers and love everything you do. Thanks a million, Sophia and Daniel. Awesome. So first of all, what what is it? What is a one by? What does this mean? A one by means that you only have one chain ring in the front. You don't need a front derailleur, and all you do is shift the rear derailleur. Okay. We both use one bys to race. Um, it's currently just a thing from SRAM. You can like kind of zombie, uh, you know, Frankenstein your own thing together from Shimano, but SRAM sells it straight out of the box. Works fantastic, and that is what we use ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, our TT bikes have one by, our road bikes have two by, but on the TT bike, we're only swapping to two by if the course is really hilly. Like, for example, St. George last year was almost on that line to have a two by. I did put one on, but uh, we do like them better and they are faster because they're more aerodynamic and obviously lighter without the derailleur and the extra. Um, so. The breaking news that Nick has is that they are about the same. Be- right? Best best case scenario, they're about the same, is what this Velo News article that did, and the research looked like pretty great and legit. Uh, they, they measured the loss in friction that you would get because of the inefficient chain lines that you get from a one by oh, setup. Oh, gotcha. Interesting. Basically, that just means that your chain is at more of an angle trying to get from your chain ring to your like fastest or your slowest gear. There's some inherent friction by that sharp angle that it has to exactly. make. Exactly. And the the aerodynamic advantage of having no front derailleur and just one chain ring is it, there there is an aerodynamic advantage, but at at its best at 30 miles per hour, which is very fast, is just enough to make up for the difference in the average difference in friction between a one by and a two by, so at the extremes, uh, so at the, your smallest gear in the back or your or your biggest gear in the back, at the extremes, it's an even larger amount of friction for it. Now every setup is different, and aerodynamics are not the static thing, right? Like a certain helmet on one athlete is not as efficient as a certain helmet on another athlete, and the same is going to be true for things on a bike for different athletes at different speeds. But it does seem like. The no-brainer that it would be is not so much of a no-brainer. But then, Eric, when you and I were talking about this beforehand, you brought up something really interesting as the example of, like, for example, Paula racing at Daytona on a very flat course. Yeah, they look way better, so that's why they're better. <laughs> they do look way better. That's not, that's <laughs> that's not, not what we were talking about, though. but that is a main point for me. Um, it, it like You can basically adapt whatever size chain ring you're using on a flatter course to optimize your chain line. So even though Paula might run a 50 in most races, if she's going to do a course like Daytona or um, something that just doesn't need a huge range of gears, we could put a 55 on there so that she's optimized for the gear that she's going to use most often at her race speed of 41.7 kilometers per hour or whatever. Um, and then the other thing that I will say is I think the one of the biggest things about the one by is not being afraid of dropping your chain. Right, not having that extra risk, you know. Yeah, on, that's why I like it on chunky roads. On just when you have to make the shift to to do rollers and stuff. I uh, personally, when I was on Shimano, that bugged me a fair bit on several seventy point three courses that we did um, when I was using the synchro shift and having to go like, oh, I got to shift down just for this roller, but then I got to shift back up into the the big chain ring, and then I was going in and out of the big chain ring enough that it it just it makes you a little bit nervous. Yeah, and and if you drop a chain, it doesn't matter if you're saving two watts on something else, right? Like that is a huge loss in time potentially. Like especially if it gets stuck, it could end your race. Yeah, we've seen people that just straight up cannot get the chain unstuck. So, 
Um, if if it's at all possible to use the one by, we like doing that. And uh, yeah, just one less thing to have go wrong. I think the 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 thing that I get from this, which is, uh, it's like when you buy a product and the new product comes out a year later and you're like, oh, there's nothing in there that I needed. I'm happy to keep my own thing. That's how I feel about this. Where I'm like, okay, my two by setup on my bike is just fine. I'm not sacrificing that much. Yes, there are advantages to the one by, but it's not this, you know, absolutely unanimous, huge improvement and lighter and faster in every way. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Still depends on you and what you want for, uh, for your use case. N- number two out of 50. Yeah, here we go. Next question here uh, is from Everett from Washington, D.C. Hello, TTL fam. After watching the video from Stoked to Broken on the YouTube channel, I wonder about the emotional process from making and releasing the video for Eric. Did it help, hurt? Was it difficult, easy, or on par with other videos? I found it simple. Poignant? How do you say that word? Poignant. Poignant. How do you spell that word, Eric? P-O-I-G-N-A-N-T. Wow. <laughs> you got to put the applause. I'm going to put the dig in there. Um, <laughs> poignant and refreshing to be so honest about the downs that life offers us. Thank you. Sending all the good vibes, Everett. So for like a lot of songwriters or writers, their, their, their craft is a way to express their emotions, right? It's like therapeutic. Do you feel the same way about some of the videos that you make, Eric? Um, I, I feel that way about all of my favorite videos that I make. I don't, uh, typically feel that way about race recaps or just ones where uh, we we just got to train, you know, to get ready for the next race. But the ones that <clears throat> do come at a time of injury or something that we're working through mentally, decisions and stuff, those definitely, I, I, I use that as like a bit of a process, just like you would journaling or whatever, where going through the act of making the video and like, what is the point of this and what is the storyline and the outcome and what did I learn? helps me process it for sure. So doing that helped me, it felt good, it felt right. And I honestly assumed that it would be a bit of a flop in terms of views and stuff because, you know, it's not like 10 by five minutes pushing 450 watts and big, exciting, whatever. And it's not about a race, which everybody kind of wants to get information on a race. Uh, but I guess it has struck a chord with a lot of people. A lot of people have been through similar stuff and... um that also helped me because I feel like it wasn't just it wasn't just for me. Some people got something out of it, and that's really special. Seeing that from your perspective as someone that I think a lot of people look up to is it val it's validating. At least it mm-hmm. was for me. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was it was really interesting because um, when I started shooting that, I wasn't injured. <laughs> you know, everything was still uh, fine, right. and I crashed right. partway through it. So. I was kind of taking a story that I was building and it kind of happened in real time and it was very real and, um, and yeah, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share that. Awesome. Okay. Next question here, Paula, but less of a philosophical question. Uh, this is from Tim. Appreciate the knowledge and cinematic excellence. Swim training question here. If I have a tempo set with goal times in mind, but I'm struggling to keep the stroke smooth, do I slow down or still meet the times, even if it means muscling through the water. For example, 200s on three minutes with a struggling in the last 50, or 310 with a smoother stroke. Does the efficiency eventually come from fighting these intervals, or does the speed come from staying smooth throughout and dealing with the lost time on the front end? Tim, what a great question. Such yeah, a good question. Yeah, I like question. that question a lot. So mm. what do you guys think? Well, first of all, what do you personally do? And then... What would you do if you were coaching an athlete? Like, what would you tell your athlete? Because those aren't necessarily the same things. Yeah, I I feel like I have a really hard time distinguishing in my own body what smooth is and what hard is and what frantic is. Like when I'm swimming, quote unquote, hard or fast, I still feel like I'm pretty smooth. So there's a point where an interval is just impossible and I can't make it. But I don't feel like when an interval speeds up, I fall apart or anything. But I don't know. What do you think, Eric? I I tend to prioritize uh, keeping my stroke together. Yeah, uh, and and that's as much because I you know just from a lot of uh, not like scientific testing, but just having done a lot of swim sets, when I let things fall apart and I just kind of go whatever, I'm going to go into the sprint stroke and just going to thrash and like try to get my turnover up. It doesn't result in a faster time, or it's like one second faster yeah. for an art perceived exertion of two times as much. That's a good point. I agree with you, Eric. It's interesting. It makes me think of 
time trialists, like we're towards the end of their race, you see their hips moving and their shoulders moving and their heads moving a little bit more. And yes, that's probably not as efficient, but in the water, those things are magnified so much to slow you down. Is that, mm-hmm. is that, that kind of what you're saying, Eric? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess what I would do if I were you is I would still probably go for the faster time, but just make your your total focus to blow up and let your stroke fall apart as late as possible. Like literally, oh, it fell apart as I was approaching the last flip turn. It, yeah, it fell course. apart two strokes after the last flip turn. Try to keep together as long as possible. I, yeah, of course he's trying to do that naturally. Yeah. You don't want your stroke to fall apart, but I... My advice would be to go on 310 and get an extra 10 seconds rest because I feel like that's the point of intervals in the pool. If we wanted to be uber uber specific to 70.3, we would just do an 1800 hard every day. But intervals allow you to stop, regroup, and then set off with a good stroke again. So I think that 10 seconds or less of... Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, that's my bad. I misunderstood this for coming in on the three minutes or the 310 versus leaving on the three minutes or the 310. Oh. So, yes, I agree. I, it's an interesting point, though, that you make, Paul, because it's not like this person's trying to make a specific time, right? They're trying to get fitter in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. So, don't, so don't let the form fall apart. Yeah, get but a little bit extra rest. This made me think of another question that I would have for you guys. For me, as a not great swimmer, when the, the slower I swim, I feel like, I'll say the opposite. I feel like when I'm at an 8 out of 10 effort, that's when my form is the best. If I'm at like a five out of 10 effort, I feel like I'm, even if I try not to be, I'm sloppier. I'm a little yeah. just my, I yes. don't know exactly. Is that same for you guys? Totally. Yeah, I agree. There's a certain speed that for me, it's like 120 per hundred meters that I feel like my stroke is the best. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think cool. that's just kind of inherent with swimming with what it takes to be on plane and efficient in the water. Like there's a certain point where, you're just not sitting on top of the water properly because you're going so slow. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're like, you know, Olympic caliber swimmer and maybe you're good at that. Yeah. Cool. Fun question though. Yeah. Great question. Uh, Okay. Next question is from Noah from Michigan. Hello guys. Thank you guys so much for the best podcast in triathlon. We appreciate it. Uh, My question is, you're welcome. (laughs) Is amateur triathlon a sport only for the wealthy? I'm a poor college student planning on heading to medical school next year. My $650 used bike drained my bank account. I struggle with the thought of taking my bike into the shop for tune-ups because the cost seems so large. Similarly, I have to stretch the lives of my running shoes as much as I can. I've heard all the great advice about the cheapest aero gains, but the thought of spending more than $100 on an aero helmet seems like too much. I have the thought about trying the sponsorship route, but I will never be a professional and I doubt I could gain much interest, especially with my times hampered by poor bike tech. Yet it is my goal to be competitive at the pointy end of amateur racing. Do I have to wait for another few years until I have a good job to actually pursue triathlon? Thanks for all you do. Noah from Michigan. Really interesting question here. Mm-hmm. Because I think it it brings up a lot of questions about why an amateur does the sport, what you're trying to get out of it. Yep. Yeah, I I think it doesn't take a lot of money to just participate in triathlon. And I think you can get very good with not the nicest equipment. Um, But the culture is certainly to have very nice equipment. You're going to feel that pressure always. And are you going to be able to go win Kona in world championships as an amateur on a $600 bike and a $50 helmet? Probably not. But I don't think that should stop you at all from building the engine as big as you possibly can. And at whatever point in time you can afford that nicer gear, like the difference that it's going to make is going to be awesome. You know, like that's what I did anyway. I had pretty cheap bikes as a kid and I just worked on the engine, worked on the engine and got to the point where I could win local races on used hand-me-down gear. And then when I started actually getting nice gear, that just like the gains that I got out of that were were very significant, but it didn't stop me from like having fun in the meantime. Yeah, I think when you're on a budget, uh, I mean, maybe this is a stupid way to answer, but your <clears throat> def- triathlon's then your thing, you know? It's not like you're doing triathlon and then eating out seven times a week and going on vacations, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. I think there's a way to 
budget it so that triathlon's not only your hobby, but it's like everything you're putting your extra money towards goes towards that. So maybe that spares you an extra couple thousand by the end of the year if you decide to eat out less or something and you can upgrade your bike. I don't know. That's a Maybe that's a dumb answer. But. I, I, would, I would say overall, though, that triathlon is a sport that requires a, a degree of wealth, you know, in quote, in quote. Yeah, it's not um, like running. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like basketball. It's not, it's not like so many things that you need $10, is it? The bike's expensive, the shoes, the like the... And the maintenance, like she said. That's you know, crazy Clothing, too. all the things, yeah. It, it, you can do it, you can do it cheaply relative to, you know, how you can do it, but it's, it's not... Still not cheap. Yeah. I want to give the, the positive side of this though, because I think there is a really big positive side that is slightly unique to triathlon. First of all, unlike a lot of other sports, you training on worse gear is does not inhibit your, for the most part, does not inhibit your ability to gain fitness in basically the same way, right? You don't have as fast as a bike, but you putting out power through the pedals on a bad bike or a great bike builds the same amount of fitness. You just go faster on the great bike. And since triathlon is, is by age, you, you compete against your age group you have as much time as you could possibly want to build this fitness. You can get fitter and fitter on your not great bike, and then maybe one day you can afford the great bike because it's it's mostly the bike we're talking about here, right? Like running shoes and swimming stuff is relatively affordable. It's the bike yep. that can be really expensive. So you can build all this fitness on your not so great bike and then compete. Maybe it's three years from now, but you get fitter and fitter. And that's only if you want to compete against other people. Like for a lot of people, myself included, there's a huge joy in just the self-improvement aspect of it. And that's really all you can control anyway, right? You can't control if three people in your age group show up to one race that are really fast or if they are at a different race that weekend. You can't control that. You can control the training you've put in and how you work mm-hmm. hard on race day. So yeah. I think triathlon is great for that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that if you really want to get to the pointy end of the race, probably one of your bigger expenses is going to be coaching. Just hearing you say all of that, Nick. Um, you know, buying a $5,000, $10,000 bike, but having no professional help on how to structure your workouts, like the money should go into the professional help if you're going to put some, some money somewhere. And at least my experience was through that, you meet other people and you make it known that, hey, I'm trying to buy a used aero helmet. And I can almost guarantee someone in the tri club or someone that your coach coaches is going to be upgrading to the next thing. And they might be able to sell you two years old aero helmet and that'll get you. You can get that for 50, yeah, 60 my bucks. Last, my last advice in this entire thing is just to look at the used secondhand market, which they probably do already. But yeah. <laughs> I think for especially pros like Eric and I trying to offload old helmets and stuff, um, we'll part with them for very little. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're young and trying to go places. Yeah. But I, th- I think is it, a, it if at the pointy end, like Eric said, to win Kona, yes, you probably need great gear. But you can do really well and have a lot of fun without the great gear. And you can still build a lot of fitness without the great it's gear. It's all about fun and fitness. <laughs> That's right. Also, there was a PS here. Uh, as a collegiate runner, I always laughed at you guys when you would say there's no such thing as an easy run. Then I started training like a triathlete and running got a lot harder. So I appreciate that <laughs> perspective now. Um, okay, yeah. next question here is from Tim. Hi, TTL. I've been racing age group triathlon for a couple of years looking to build to 70.3 and want to invest in a tri bike for next season living in the uk and london with limited space to store bikes are there any suggestions you have to pack and store a second bike in a small space or any advice you can give wife approval factor is a must uh love the pod and all you do for the triathlon community thank you tim yeah my what immediately comes to mind on this is those racks that go on the wall where you can hang one above the other yep so you have like two two sticks that come out with a hook on the end and you can hang your top tube over that. And your bike is art. And then your bike's on the wall up high. Nick, it's in, you have one in your... Well, in actually, your... this is the, I really like this question because I think the way I have it is a is an even better version of that where they come out at an angle so they can overlap. So you can actually stack oh, yeah. three bikes on a wall yep. or two higher and still have room for a cabinet or something below. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how we could uh, put this on, like I could put a link to a product. There's a million different versions of it, but basically the wheels are up against the wall and then there's a little hook that hooks the pedal 
on the wall side. So the bike is just leaning out at like whatever, 15 or 20 degrees. And then you can by the pedal. Yeah. And the low, the one right below it obviously can overlap with it quite a bit. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. That's what I have here. And now I'm about to get a, a gravel bike as well. And I'll be able to f- easily fit three bikes stacked on top of each other vertically. And I think it actually looks really cool. Yeah. So if at all possible, if you could put a link to some version of that in the show notes, that would or be Or can sweet. you say yes. what the brand is? Do you know? N- I bought some cheap thing off of Amazon. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I'm but, just saying uh, like, Nick, you're suspending your... $10,000 bike from the wall. You should just buy <laughs> the $40 hook instead of the no, no, $5 no, 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 hook. No, 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 That won't, that won't do. That won't do. You're insane. Maybe don't buy the crazy. budget hook. <laughs> <laughs> buy the real f***ing hook. I, I, I would say, I would say that the problem isn't so much the hook because they're just like made of some kind of metal that's not going to break. It's make sure that you, they're screwed into a stud I would I I found the studs in the wall to to screw into. I would trust that over anchoring it. I don't know because I would not want to suspend my expensive bike on one of those drywall anchors that could potentially above your come other out. expensive bike. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> above right. your other expensive bike. Yeah, right. <laughs> above your guitar. Yes, <laughs> and drum set, an electronic drum set is what I have. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll put a link to, to, I'll put a link to a nice one and then you can go and find your budget option if you so choose to roll the dice as yeah. I have. Here's, here's another thing we should do. So we're, we're sending out an email to the supporters in that email, we're putting pictures of our new gear and a picture of Nick's closet. Okay, Ooh. great. That's great. <laughs> That's if you're great. comfortable sharing that. I'm Nick. very comfortable and I think it looks so cool. So I'm very happy with that. Okay. All right. Cool. Great. Um, okay, next question here is from Derek. Oh, and uh, there's a little bit of a teaser here that I don't know if we want to. I don't know if we want to give away, but it starts with "Happy Off Season, TTL peeps," and uh, unless you give it one last go, so I don't know if we want to say anything about that. But the question is, since you have addressed women's periods and issues in detail, I feel like it's okay to ask this. I had my tri bike for about a year now and never got a real fit. I had just made small adjustments as I needed to get the right feel and fit. I think that my current position is great and gives me some decent legs for the run, but here's the problem. At about 35 to 40 miles in, my wiener goes numb. It can take a day or two for the numbness to go away, and that has made me panic naturally. The saddle I have come with the bike, Celitalia Watt, is very comfortable on the bones and the cheeks, so I've not looked into another saddle. Is it because I need a proper fit? Is it just the wrong saddle for me? Dr. Google does not make me feel any better about the situation, but did show me that it's more common than I thought. And maybe some other guys listening would like to hear you discuss. I am doing Ironman Tempe on the 22nd of this month. So I question if I should change my fit with a fitter this close to race day. Thanks for everything you guys do for the sport, Derek. Wow. Uh, Hold on. What is this saddle called? The Celitalia what? What? Okay. I just want to see a picture of this. Oh, it's got a okay. big opening in the middle. But yeah, a so day we, or we, two for numbness is yeah. That is that's not your saddle, terrifying. Bro. That's straight to the ER for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> if, if that's an issue. I mean, you're this switching is precious saddles. cargo. Straight to the ER. I mean, after after twenty minutes, I am I am crying. I am afraid for my life. So I'm definitely going yeah. to the ER. You know, like <laughs> the. the sh- <laughs> The 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 shape of this looks solid and is very similar to the uh, specialized Citro that that we use. Um, so, like that was going to kind of be my first thought was going to a saddle that has a channel like this. But maybe this is just not quite the right channel saddle for you. Maybe it's too sometimes too much cushion can actually be detrimental because that just it gives more pressure more places and cuts off your blood flow. But Man, that was that was my go-to. That was my ace in the hole. It was I? Oh, Celitalia. This thing probably is like hard as a rock and has no notch, but it does. Well, it's funny you say that because right, people think softer saddle means it 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 proportionally dissipates the pressure, which sounds like it would be good. But there are parts of your butt that are better for taking pressure. So a good saddle just yeah. puts most of the pressure on there. But Eric, have you ever had this issue? And did you find something that solved it for you? Let's uh, not numbness for days, but temporary numbness. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I actually have, and it hasn't been that long since I, since I had it last, and I've I've had it on a road bike, I've had it on a tri bike, um, 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's very tricky when you're trying to do a course, like we're just talking about Kona since Kona's here, but a course like that where you could just literally ride Stay, arrow yeah, exactly. for six hours. No problem. Um, but usually when I'm experiencing that, I just kind of take a moment to sit up, change position just slightly, take a drink before getting arrow again. So this person hasn't been to a doctor yet? Well, they, they haven't been it? to a bike fitter yet, but oh. that, like, if you're numb for multiple days, that, I, I, I mean, that's like neurological damage is what yeah. it feels like. I, I really, so intense. I think yeah, going to a doctor bike, I think before it, the bike <laughs> I feel like going to a bike fitter this close to the race is still worth it. Like that is, that is really, really rough. I wonder if it like impedes their ability to ride. Like he says, it still feels comfortable. But it's right. the aftermath yeah. that's the issue. So if you've been training this way, like, what's one more ride? I, you I, know? I do. I feel like you could, if you've got a good fitter, you could go in and say, "Hey, I'm this far out from a race. I really like ergon. Just you know, the knee angle, everything seems to be fine, but my my wiener is numb <laughs> for multiple days." And they could take that into account, put a different saddle on, make sure that your knee angle and your hip angle hasn't changed or anything. But you could try something that's just slightly different, and if yeah, man. If it if you don't have that experience, yeah. If it could alleviate simple, it with a simple fix, I would I would give it a shot. I actually meant to uh, reach out to our bike fitter before this just to see if he had some some good insight, and I just I forgot about it, unfortunately. Oh, maybe next week. Well, I'll t- uh, anecdotally for me, the only time I've ever had problem with numbness around my groin is when my saddle was too narrow, and then I got mm-hmm. a wider saddle, and then fully never happened uh, again. That's interesting because the the even a saddle like this Italia saddle that he has comes in different widths. Right. Yeah. It could so be. So maybe he could, could keep be. the saddle with yes. a wider one. Yes, exactly. I, I do think that that for me was a problem and I noticed it. I wouldn't notice it while it was happening. I would notice it if I would like get out of the saddle and then all of a sudden I'd be like, oh boy, there is serious numbness there. And I, mm-hmm. a little bit out of the saddle mm-hmm. would kind of like temporarily fix it. But the only thing that permanently fixed it was getting a wider saddle, and I happen to have wider sit bones, so I need a wider mm. saddle anyway. That could be a good point, actually, yeah. Yeah. If you go to get a retool fit, you sit on foam, and they measure your sit bones, and they assign a saddle width. But if you're just buying one online, you really have no idea what size mm-hmm. of saddle you need. Mm-hmm. My problem so with the retool mean- thing is, I, I don't know how they do this, but every time I've gotten my my like sit bones measured, it's kind of like you're sitting upright. And it's like your road bike position, and I don't know if everyone's anatomy kind of tapers into their like, into like the inside of their groin where you sit on a TT bike, in the same way. So it might still be worth experimenting with different saddle widths, even if they're a split nose saddle, like you said. Yeah, wow. That, but I do. I'm not kidding though. I think, I think a physician might have better insight than us, or I know that. <laughs> and multiple then, days of numbness is seems just. So but he said he Googled it and it maybe is more common than we think. But either way, I'd say just for your own health safety. Do both. Inquire about that Do to both. someone more yeah. knowledgeable than us. Bike fitter and physician. Yeah. And good luck at Ironman Tempe. If you're a physician and have any insight, <laughs> that's right. please send Nick a message. Um, okay. Next question is from Rover the Triathlon Dog. Dear I TTL love Nation. Rover. <laughs> Dear TTL Nation. My owner and I are having an argument about swim training, and I hope you can help settle it for us. I sit by the pool and watch him swim, and every day it's just front crawl back and forth. Front crawl is also known as freestyle. Over and over, with no other strokes. It makes me fall asleep on the deck every time. I told him that he should be trying other strokes, but he says that his back crawl isn't very good, backstroke, and he'll never need it to race anyway. He also tells me that I'm not one to give advice on this topic since I only ever do dog paddle. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's important for him to spend some time on the other strokes? In your workouts, what percentage of time is spent doing strokes other than front crawl? And do you have any tips for people who are not very good at back crawl? Thanks for an advice that you have. We really love your podcast. We're over the triathlon dog. Eric's rolling his eyes, but he never mentioned Flynn. So I think it's just comedy. Oh, if you're into that kind of comedy. <laughs> if you're into that lowbrow crap. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. No, I love the doggy it. I love paddle. It. I love okay. It. Um, I First spend of all, what percentage? Okay, zero. 0%. Okay. 0% of time doing anything but freestyle. And I grew up competitive swimming. I was actually a 400 IMer. 
was my best event. So that's a hundred meters of each stroke. All of them. I was yeah. a, also a breaststroker. Like that was my, my strongest stroke of the four, but still now that I don't swim competitively and I don't uh, have a 18 year old body, if I do one breaststroke kick, it feels like my knees and my hips are going <laughs> to explode. explode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. If I try to do butterfly, it feels like I'm going to have a heart attack. Right. And backstroke. Yeah. Maybe I'll do an easy 50 back, but it's, I'm not good enough at it to make it a functional, purposeful stroke. So anyway, we just do freestyle. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty similar to all that. I'd say I do backstroke slightly more often than Paula does, if, she, if like 0.2% of the time. But backstroke was my stroke. I do enjoy it. It feels good to me. And I, th- I feel like that's kind of my takeaway from this question of if you're actually good at these strokes, then the backstroke could give you some good like shoulder mobility sort of thing during warm up and stuff but if you if you got really bad shoulder mobility and you don't know how to do the strokes i'm not sure it's really going to be helpful that much yeah it, it basically can give you like reprieve your muscles and use other muscles and use your body in a different way in the pool so it's not 100% monotonous because triathlon is such a monotonous sport you're making the same motions thousands of times so it's really nice to mix it up, but I'd say to make variety in our swim sets, we'll do kick a lot of the time. So just kickboard, we'll do pull, we'll do pull paddles. So that in itself is a bit of variety and we don't necessarily use the other strokes to add that variety in. But if you go watch a master's workout at the pool, like the 12 o'clock masters that get in after us, they're doing a lot of IM, a lot of butterfly sets, backstroke sets, because they all, a lot of them grew up swimming. And even if you didn't, it's just good to be a bit more well-rounded. So it's kind of personal preference. And they may compete. They may still compete in the 400 IM at master's meets. Yeah, Yeah, Their goal isn't to be fast triathletes. I say go for it and warm up. The uh, the thing I'd say with backstroke is just, it requires more attention because you've got to stay close to the rope. Like if you're not paying attention, you could drift over the lane and like head on someone who's coming up the other side. So just make sure you have good peripheral vision of the lane line to stay straight and then use the flags to turn. <laughs> oh my gosh, obvious, I have a but. I have a funny story. My my older brother Brian who used to be a competitive swimmer when they I think didn't they change the backstroke like flip turn rules at yeah. some point like back 20, to breast. Right. right. So at one point when he did the flip turn to backstroke, he didn't realize it, but he flipped and got into the lane next to him in the middle of a race and didn't oh, realize no. what was happening. Yeah. And it's a great story. It's like he saw a guy fly over his head when he was done at some point and it was the wrong guy. Because <laughs> it was a relay. Any guy uh, oh my over God. your head while you're racing is not good. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, th- that's, a, that's a good point. I only ever swim those strokes if it's like a, like for, cause if I'm feeling it, but do you guys do anything <laughs> to, I think the only reason <laughs> I could see I doing it, uh, the only reason I could see doing it is to help kind of, like you said, Paula, like give you a little more well-rounded musculature and like give your muscles a break. Is there any other reason you would do it? I really yeah. just think for like mobility and just like firing up all of your core and everything in the warm up. I think butterfly is also extremely hard. So yes, if you do true. 25 fly, oh, that's 25 free 50s, your heart rate gets super jacked up on the butterfly. Similar to maybe your heart rate when you're doing a takeout effort in a race. And then you try to settle into freestyle. So I used to do that with some coaches, like use the butterfly to kind of artificially inflate your heart rate because it's such that's an inefficient, really difficult stroke. It's really f-ing interesting, man. It's <laughs> pretty f-ing interesting, dude. <laughs> And then do you, you can guys take do this anything? out, but I think that is such fluff. It's like how oh, many people really? out there are good enough at freestyle that they should spend any amount of time simulating hard swimming freestyle instead right. of just it's hard enough. doing hard swimming freestyle. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about Lucy Charles. Oh yeah, I know. I'm just saying for the listeners of this podcast who is not Lucy Charles, got to <laughs> well, get good at freestyle. She might listen. You never know. She might be listening, but she's not uh, looking for swim advice from us. And do you guys do anything in the gym? Since you're saying you don't do all that, you you pretty much don't do back or breast or fly. Do you do anything in the gym to help with that mobility so you don't become kind of one-sided in your musculature? Like, do you think you need no, that? No, because all that matters is racing and you're just using those muscles. But okay. I guess to prevent injury, I don't, but... no. And you Could. guys swim a lot, so that's, that's an interesting a data point, at least. Yeah, but we don't swim a lot compared to swimmers. Yeah. 
I think we just have such a good foundation. We did so much dry land and shoulder exercises growing up and stuff that I don't want to say we're just set for life, but we have like, (laughs) it's pretty solid. And I do like a quick shoulder stretch every now and again. And we do some like plank type, you know, just things to like work on core strength a little bit in the gym. But I think just all the years that we spent swimming kind of made those muscles. Okay, this question is overdone. The end. Cool. Uh, Next question here is from Kathy with a K. Sorry, Nick. Okay, I was the one talking. Hi, how do you make sure you're not in a drafting zone? Do you eyeball? Do you count seconds? How do you know? One time I got called out and I didn't even think I was that close. And I was a really slow age group athlete and I can't even believe the ref was calling me out. Currently a seven hour bike and an Ironman. Thanks. Love the podcast and love my TTL Costelli bib. Kathy. Oh, awesome. So do you guys ever do any math? Like you're like, okay, I'm going 25 miles per hour and this person is this and the cone is there and a two and a half seconds pass. So that means I'm 12 meters. No. No. You just eyeball because you have a pretty good sense. Uh, that just leaves a lot of room for error. The only way to really do it is by visually estimating it. Yeah. Often I'll use the lines in the road. Like if I'm two lines apart, that can also vary. So yeah, just really practice out on the road with someone sometime. Measure what 12 meters is out on the road. Because if you take a 12 meter rope and walk end to end in a house with it, it looks really long. But if you're out on the road moving quickly, 12 meters is, by comparison, f- seems very short. Yeah. So having an eyeball idea in the real world when this in the sport that's, that it's happening in is important, I think. Mm-hmm. And as awesome as Race Ranger is, it's not going to come to age group <laughs> racing, uh, not for a very long time, if it ever does. So yeah. we still need to be eyeballing stuff. Yeah. And race, yeah, Race Ranger for the pro PTO races basically gives you a visual cue with lights that light up for how many meters you are back. But um, for Ironman races, we don't use that. So it really all comes down to your own estimate. And we've said this before in the podcast, the refs are always looking for intent. So if it looks like you're really trying to stay out of that zone, you sit up if you accidentally drift in it, um, then they likely won't penalize you. But if you're sitting within 12 meters and it's very obvious, that's when you'll get um, told. I would say if possible, better safe than sorry is the way to go. Just ride it 15 meters or 20, you know, just like why risk it? If possible. I know age group racing, is, there's a lot of people on course, so just do your best. Yeah. That was what I was going to say is I feel like I saw a lot of people that were fully fully comfortable with the fact that they were drafting. They weren't trying to avoid it. Yeah. And yeah. But but that's, that's a whole different argument. Okay. Last question here. Hello, Eric, Paul, and Nick. When you come off the bike in T2 and start the run, do your legs always feel extremely heavy? I probably overbike, but my legs always feel terribly heavy. And I wonder if there's something other than slowing down on the bike that would help. 62 years old, but I'd like to push hard on each discipline. Thanks from Michigan. Yeah, the only time the, that my legs have not felt heavy is when I've had a terrible bike. Then I feel great. Otherwise, you're just, it's inevitable. What's a terrible bike for you, Eric? What does that, what does that mean? A terrible bike is where uh, I have a hip issue and my whole left leg goes numb and I just can't really push power and I'm considering dropping out of the race for most of the bike and then I just get myself to T2 and there's too many people watching and cheering for me to just like step off the course at T2. So I start running and then I feel pretty good because I couldn't put out much bike power and I end up running a fast half marathon. So just to be clear, you had a bad bike. It's not like you worked really hard and didn't go very fast. You were not able to work that hard. Yeah. Right. Interesting. That, Nick, that's yeah. the most obvious where I, way I could say yes. If you push less on the bike, I you'll probably feel a lot better starting the run. Yeah, I have a helpful answer. <laughs> I guess that is an answer, but we do really short brick runs off the bike in training. So, for example, on my current schedule, I have a two and a half hour pretty hard ride with intervals over seventy point three pace. And then I have a five-minute run off the bike at race pace. It sounds so short and pointless, like what's the point of even putting your shoes on? But I think having a bit of practice without loading your legs, obviously it's not a run session, but you just get that feeling and get used to that feeling. And yeah, maybe your legs will always be heavy, but it'll just be a more known sensation. And for me, the first five minutes feels really hard and my legs feel terrible. But then the cool down, which is 10 minutes, I feel amazing. 
So okay. I think that like that feeling of heavy legs does go away relatively quickly. So the more you can just sense that and feel it and be comfortable with that, I think the better. Just do it in training a little bit. Eric, what about you? I'm very curious how long it takes for that feeling to subside until you feel normal running again. Let's say you've had a good bike. I mean, if I've had a good bike and I paced appropriately, it it feels okay right from the gun. I think I think it's when I've biked too hard because I'm trying to stay with the pack where I get off and it feels awful. And then yeah, that'll take a mile and a half, two miles maybe before I've like caught my breath and I'm running slow before I feel like I can kind of re-ramp into race pace. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I think like if you want to have a really fast run, you do need to bike a little bit slower. But like Paul is saying, assuming that you're biking an appropriate speed for your pacing strategy, getting used to that feeling and normalizing that so it's like less impactful on your mental state is huge. That's that's okay. So this is what I felt because when I think about it, I do remember this feeling a lot when I first started racing. And I'm sure it's still present now, but I think I have normalized it in my head and I don't think about mm. it. Now, I kind of have the opposite problem where when I start my run, I have to kind of be careful about how fast I go because I, I get a little overexcited. Yeah. Mm, interesting, yeah. Like I forget what it feels like to start a race with the run. I used to run track and cross country all the time and to feel fresh on the first five minutes like, versus... <laughs> feeling your worst at the first five minutes, it's so, so different. So normalizing it is huge, I think, for people that are new to it. It's funny that you guys, or at least you, Paula, you only, your brick runs are, are very short because there's some people who will try to do like a an hour and a half brick run off the bike. And maybe that's more relevant for full distance athletes, but it seems yeah. like what you're saying makes sense. Like, why would you trash your legs even more on on top of that bike ride where you can just get the advantage of, getting your brain and body used to that transition from bike to run without putting all that extra stress of like doing a full run off Yeah, I think hard runs off the bike are fine as well if you were to do a longer session off the bike, but it's just within the context of your whole training plan. Like I had a hard run session the day after, so the focus wasn't the run off the bike. That was just more of a neuromuscular memory thing, getting your legs going after riding really hard. But I think... It just is so individual depending on your training plan, if you do a long one off the bike or not. And if you're racing an Ironman, you probably should do a 90-minute run off the bike. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds no, that's like a, that'd be smart. That's a, really, that's a really good point because this this reminds me of something else. Like my long rides are longer than your long rides a, a lot of the time, most weeks. But you are riding way more over the total week than I am. Mm-hmm. And so like if we relate this to this question – the brick runs that some people maybe need to do, they're only running three times a week. So they do need to get like more quality into that session rather than running just five minutes. You know, yeah, like you, I can, think you can afford to, Paula. I think that's a bit of a byproduct of, yeah, having a job and needing to load up the weekends. Yeah, but the night of that brick, so I did that workout, I did the run off the bike, and then I had an evening run, like an easy run. Oh, see, yeah. So it's not it's not even necessarily I don't know. This I is more of a short course style training program where mm. the idea is that you don't need to go out and spend time running when your legs are destroyed from a bike workout. You need to spend time running as properly as possible, and that's going to happen in the run workout. It's not going to happen right after you just smash your legs on the bike. I think this is a really interesting example of why it's not always best to mimic what professionals are doing because. <laughs> Because we're all doing different things. We can't can't do what (laughs) they do. We can't do what they do. And most of us are not running twice in a day. I mean, almost all amateurs are not running twice in a day. That's a very specialized kind of thing to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That really, really destroys your day. If you want a recipe for how to not enjoy your Sunday, (laughs) that is the program. The second run. I've been, Paulo, on this training plan for Los Cabos, which we're all doing, right? We're all racing Los Cabos. Are, are Are we saying that? Did we not already say that? I we feel did like not people, know. That. people know. People <laughs> know. We are all racing Los Cabos. Cabos. I mean, we've all booked a flight to Los Cabos. Yeah, but we'll they, no one else knows that. Breaking news. <laughs> yeah, breaking news. We're all going to Los Cabos. <laughs> oh, yeah. For this training, Paulo's, I said to Paulo, okay, I'll do Los Cabos. Give me a 70.3 training plan, dialed back a notch. <laughs> right. So we dialed it back like half of a half of a notch. Still right. hard, but some of the days that I have are just run only days, and the morning's a hard workout, and the afternoon's an easy 30 minute run and the amount of time you have in the day to do stuff when you're not biking or swimming in that day is just 
so insane. Yeah. So doing double runs is not, I think it's the best day of the week. Unless anyway. you're also, unless you're also biking. Or like a long, doing a long just bike and single then running long off bike the bike ride. and then running again later. Yeah, I guess that's a lot. But anyway. That was, that was great. Wow. So we broke some news about Ironman and pro Ironman racing. We did our Kona predictions. We broke the news that we're all going to be racing at Los Cabos. Uh, and we even answered a lot of questions. We did answer a lot of questions. How many did you leave out out of out of that batch? I sent oh, you? I mean, mo- but most, most, like 90, yeah, ninety percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would say highlight those, Nick, because I every question I uploaded to you, I liked. Yeah, those were really good. So, I got I got to say, like with the comment we made last week of please send in questions because we were low last week, I got like fifty times the amount. Of Emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is great. So great. I think it just showed that people were maybe afraid to send something in or hesitant or embarrassed or whatever. And don't feel any of those things. Just send stuff our way. Yeah. We like them. You guys are smarter than us. Most of the time. It doesn't take much. <laughs> uh, so next week, we'll all be together in Bend for the podcast recording. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's watching Kona, everyone who's at Kona, congratulations for making it there. That's a huge accomplishment in and of itself. We're all going to be cheering for you, and we'll be eagerly watching. I saw a uh, Win Republic post, and someone in the picture had a TTL cap. I was oh, like, oh nice. my god, this is so cool! Yeah, TTL amazing. goes to Kona. We yeah. don't have any special designs for Kona people, but maybe someday. <laughs> uh, you know what I think, Paul? I think if you ever make it to Kona, we should do a special. Oh Kona my god, design we're going to go so hard if Paul yeah. goes to Kona. You guys, I <laughs> am going to Kona because the new Iron Man Pro Series. Of course. All right. Yeah. I'm winning Kona Duh. in 2025. All right, working on the design now. Okay. Anyway, Get on it. I'm just kidding. We finished with such a bang last week. I feel like it's so hard to do that every week. So we'll just say <laughs> bye. Was, yeah, we'll just say bye. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Ciao. See you next week. Ciao.